Hello and welcome back to the Common Sense Gospel. I am Danny Simmons. And I'm Kurt Norbert. Today we're looking at questions from Jesus. This is a series we've been doing uh, for a little while now. And we've come to another question that we'd like to, to talk about and to read today. The question is, whose image and inscription is this? And that's what Jesus will ask the Pharisees as they stand before him with the Herodians. This account that we're looking at is in Matthew. I think it's also in Mark. It's in Mark and Luke. Yeah, Mark and Luke, okay. Mm-hmm. So we're looking at Matthew's account uh, in case anyone's reading along with us. Um, and I think it's important when we get to this moment, and there's always a lot going on in Scripture as you step into a verse. Uh, context obviously is very important. But back in chapter 21, Jesus is going to begin to deliver three marvelous parables. The first one that he gives to them, and, and really it comes from another question that they ask him, by what authority are you doing these things, and who gave you this authority? And so they go through that conversation, and then Jesus says, let me, let me share a parable with you. He gives them the two sons. One son, the father tells one son, go work in the field, and he says, I will. He tells the second son, go work in the field, and the second son says, I will not. The second son says to himself later, you know what, I, I think I should do that. I probably will need to do what my father told me. He actually goes and works in the field. The one who said he would never does. Hmm. Jesus says, which one did his father's will? Yeah, pretty so, basic. <laughs> so like, I know the answer to this. It's the one who did what his father told him. It didn't start off well, but he turned out right. So, uh-huh. so And now the wheels are turning for them. They know he's not just telling stories. Something's going on. So the second parable is the... Uh, the parable about the wicked vine dressers mm. and Jesus, he actually asked them, you know, what do you think the owner of the vineyard will do? Uh, and, and they say that he will destroy those wicked, miserable vine dressers miserably. You know, they really lay it on and he says, yeah, that's you. you you're those guys. <laughs> yeah. Then after that parable's finished, says then they perceived that mm-hmm. he was speaking of them. So they're catching on now and uh, not happy about it at all. But he's not finished. He's going to give them a third parable, which is the one of the wedding feast, where the king invites all his guests to a great wedding feast. Uh, And Jesus talks about those who were not willing to come. They got the invitation. They heard Mm -hmm. the same message everyone else did. They were not willing. And as you move through that parable towards the end, Jesus says they, they didn't come because they were not worthy which is interesting. Why were they not worthy? Because God just handpicked them? No, because they weren't willing. The ones who were willing were worthy. They they didn't deserve it. It's a beautiful picture of what God has done and how he looks at us. Mm -hmm. You're you're not unworthy because of who you are or where you were born. You're unworthy because of the choice you make as it pertains to God and his invitation. So they are so upset at this point. That That parable ends in verse 14 of Matthew 22. We pick up in verse 15, and it says this, Then the Pharisees went and plotted how they might entangle him in his talk. So they leave leave Jesus there. He's probably still teaching. They gather themselves together, and they plotted how they might entangle him in his talk. How do you think that's going to go, knowing what we know? Yeah, it's it's so futile. It's sad. But here they are, like you pointed out at the end of Chapter 21, it said they, they perceived he was speaking of them in these parables, but when they sought to lay hands on him, they feared the multitudes because they took him as a prophet. Yeah. So now, okay, we gotta, we got to do this subtly and surreptitiously. Mm-hmm. We can't just grab him because that's going to be too dangerous. 
We'll catch him in what he says. And we'll, if you can do it publicly, then the same people who believe him to be a prophet right. would think, okay, he's not as special we'll, as we We'll first. undermine his reputation with the people. Right yeah. in front of the people. That mm-hmm. way it'll get, it'll get the Pharisees off the hook as far as being in trouble with the people if they grabbed him by force. So th- these are mere men. They'll do well, do well to live 70, 80 years. You yeah. know, they don't know even the beginning of all that God has done and continues to do. It, it, just like all of us, we, you know, we don't, we don't have a grasp of all of that. And yet they've gathered this small group of men, no matter how many there are, this small group of men gather together to try to trick God yeah. in his own word. Yes. How insane is that? But you know what? There's, there's, a, there's a, something there for us, isn't there? That we would go to God's Word and say, I'm going to make it say what I want it to say. Yeah, and you, you can pick up on that pretty quickly when, as, as Peter describes it, those that are ignorant of the Scriptures torture them yeah. to their own destruction. Yeah. Uh, and you can see the, the assumptions and the irrational conclusions people come to. They'll grab a verse and say, see? It says what I've been believing here. That's right. So you have to accept that. And, you know, it's not even talking about that. <laughs> here so, it is. I finally found it. Yeah, I found me a passage. And you need to, as you mentioned a moment ago, context is so important. It is. So, so they're taking counsel amongst themselves in order to trap Jesus in his words. Uh, I would just wish I was in that room and say, well, fellas, good luck. <laughs> yeah, I want to see this. So now in verse 16, it says, And they sent to him their disciples with the Herodians, saying, mm. Teacher, we know that you are true, and you teach the way of God in truth. Nor do you care about anyone, for you do not regard the person of men. You just see Jesus going, get, okay, get on yeah. with it. I'm, I'm not into eating the butter right now, so just it's exactly, <laughs> let's get to the They are buttering point. him up. But mm. so just for a moment, they, the Pharisees, they don't go back themselves, you know, the official yeah. group. They send their disciples so they've got these underlings, and I'm, I'm convinced, well, step one, the Pharisees wouldn't say this. They wouldn't introduce themselves this way. Teacher, we know that you teach all things in truth. Oh, yeah, they they would never say that. Mm-mm. But that needs to be part of this trap because these are men. So they say, look, we're going to get compliment. Give him a compliment. He's yeah, a teacher. He believes him himself to yeah. be a prophet. Speak to him as though he's a prophet, and then pull the plug on him. Ask him the questions. But one of the interesting things in this passage is that it says that these disciples were sent with the Herodians. And so who are the Herodians? Why does the Bible specifically mention them for us? Well, it, it shows something that Jesus says about them in a moment. They're, they are those that are loyal and are servants of Herod. They're part of the party of Herod, who is the Roman-supported king of the Jews, mm-hmm. even though he's an Edomite. Um, so these are pro-Romans who are allied now with those who hate the Romans, the Pharisees. <laughs> and it's, it's that uh, old, I think it's an Arab proverb, uh, you're, the enemy of my enemy is my friend, Yeah, something like that. That's so exactly right. Here, there's, they're laying aside their total animosity toward each other mm-hmm. because they see a common enemy. This guy is a threat to our position, so... We need to do something about him. And there's still the group of men here, they're all still Jews. Um, but as you said, the Herodians, they were given that name because they have they support full subjection and loyalty to Rome. Uh, and, and the Pharisees were longing for Rome to be overthrown. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they, they party up this one time because, as you said, they both have an enemy that they both want to see fall. 
And so they're willing to go in together on this question. And as you mentioned, they start their conversation with Jesus by buttering him up. They say, teacher, we know that you're a true teacher. You teach the way of God in truth. Man. So then what are you arguing with him for? What do you want? Obviously, they don't believe that, and so he calls them hypocrites. That's right. They're showing hypocrisy. They're speaking hypocrisy. It's amazing. It is. So verse 17, tell us. Now they're going to they're gonna ask their Here's question. question. Yeah. <laughs> Master, tell us, therefore, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? So they, they're coming to him now. They say, answer this question. And by the way, Master, there are only two answers to choose from. It's either it's lawful or it isn't lawful. They don't give him any other out, right? Because... If he, can, if he says one or the other emphatically, then they've got him. Mm-hmm. And yep. why, why is that? If, if he says, no, we shouldn't pay taxes to Caesar, what would they do? Well, the Herodians that are there will just run right to Pilate and say, this guy's inciting rebellion. And the Romans will come and take care of the Pharisees' problem for him. That's right. The, the, the Herodians are hoping he'll say that because, again, he would have said it publicly. Yep. They can run to Pilate. Yep. Who, we, who were, then... we were there. We heard him say it. He's... He's inciting rebellion. He's, he's saying, don't pay taxes. And Pilate would gladly crush this one man uh, as oh, opposed yeah. to hearing, getting word sent to Caesar that he's allowing someone mm-hmm. uh, to speak out against Caesar publicly um, the, the way that he would have if he said, you should not pay taxes. If he says that you should pay taxes, the Herodians will be pleased, mm-hmm. but now the Pharisees have him. Because the people people, aren't going to like hearing that. That's right. The people generally believed it was wrong. He undermines his reputation with the people. So really, in an earthly sense, and for men having a discussion, it's a pretty good question. Yeah, it's they. They're trying to put him on the horns of a dilemma. That's right. Either where he goes, he's going to get gored. And both parties are there to represent the opposite side. Yeah. And and they're both chopping at the bit to tear him down. So they're trying to get him to say whether or not you should pay taxes to a foreign government. The Pharisees refused, as you pointed out. In John 8 and verse 33, they say to Jesus, we're the descendants of Abraham and we have never been in bondage to anyone. They, they are. Which is an outright lie. <laughs> no, they were in bondage <laughs> yeah. all the time. They're in bondage at that moment to the Romans. Exactly. exactly. Hello. But it's that, it's that mental position they take that, yeah. that shows if he says you have to pay taxes to Caesar, then you know the people are just going to let Jesus go. So, now, they have him on the horns they, of a dilemma. They, they think, yeah. Verse 18, but Jesus perceived their wickedness. Mm-hmm. Man. And he said, why do you test me, you hypocrites? So the tables have turned now? Yeah, he's publicly attacked them. And is, is he right? Oh, I, absolutely. <laughs> he's, he's absolutely Like right. I said, they're demonstrating their hypocrisy because the Pharisees are showing up with Herodians mortal enemies and they're they're giving him all this blather oh you are a true prophet you know you're speaking the truth we know that this is so so we want to hear words of wisdom from you well no Mm-mm. none of that is true that's not why you're here so it's it's all hypocrisy yeah and he just calls it for what it is immediately and they're not ready for what he's gonna ask them and i think for us too it goes back to that same question about, you know, when, when I study scripture and I'm trying to, I want the Lord to tell me something specific. I need it done my way and it just isn't there. Yeah. That it, wouldn't his response be the same? Why, why are you testing me, you hypocrite? 
You, you're mm-hmm. coming to the source of truth, wanting your truth to be told, not the truth of God. Right. That's hypocrisy in itself. Yep. So it's, yep. you know the challenge is always there. If you're going to come to Jesus, you just go to someone for spiritual counsel, and you believe that they know and understand the Word of God, be prepared to accept that. Obviously, we, we can study for ourselves. I'm not saying blindly accept anything that anyone tells you, but we have the standard of truth, which is the Word of God. And if we find ourselves fighting against what is revealed there, that's, our, that's a problem. Mm-hmm. It just is a problem. Yeah, well, we're in the same position they were. We're, we're essentially trying to entangle God in His own words. Yeah, if we, we're, we're, we're going to twist his words to fit what we want to accept, and we'll be as about as successful as they were. Right. We'll move forward, knowing now that God approves of something He obviously doesn't, yeah. and using His word as permission to do it. Mm-hmm. it it's just insanity. But which we have happens, perverted. It happens all the time. Yeah. Okay, so He says, "Why do you test me, you hypocrites? Show me the tax money." So they brought him a denarius. You know, I'm hoping the one who brought the denarius is a Herodian. Because if it's one of the Pharisees who pulls it out of his pocket, you know what he just admitted? (laughs) He's using the very... You're using Roman money here, dude. (laughs) But they have to, don't they? Yeah. They they do have have their own coinage, but the Roman coinage is is what was most popular and mostly used. Mm -hmm. Just interesting. Somebody's got it, you know. It's like, what are you doing with that? Anyway, they find a denarius. It's basically about a penny. And they bring it to him. In verse 20, he said to them, whose image and inscription is this? And so that's, that's our question. Everything lies within this question. And, and so they answer him in verse 21. They said to him, Caesar's. And he said to them, render therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and, the, and to God the things that are God's. When they had heard these words, they marveled and they left him and went their way. He didn't say one or the other, did he? No. He didn't even touch the subject of their question. But he put it, he went a level deeper. He sure did. He, t- he says, let's look at the spiritual application of this. He did essentially say pay taxes. Yes, that's right. But he gave the justification for it. It, you know, you just admitted this belongs to Caesar. That's right. So give to him what is his. It's his. Okay, now how do we argue against that? You can't. And it fits the rest of Scripture because, of course, the Apostle Paul in uh, Romans 13, 7 specifically says, give taxes to whom taxes are due. Right. So, but that is not the lesson here. No. Jesus takes it on another level with his, the second part of his question. He is is obviously the greatest teacher in all of human history. He is God. He can teach those whom he has created. He, he, can, he can bring them along. He can educate them. He can improve upon them and help them in the places where they fail and falter. And so he says, let me see the coin. And it's just interesting for them. They go, anybody, you know, somebody get a coin. No one is thinking yeah. about what They're he's probably about wondering, to do. What, is, what does he want a coin for? Yeah. So, okay, give him a coin. Just answer the question. Yeah. But the coin is where the heart of everything is. So he, says, he looks at it, shows it to them. Who's inscription? Caesar's. The image in the inscription on the coin displays ownership. It's yeah. his coin. Yeah. His name's on it. His face is on it. Mm-hmm. It belongs to him. So give it to him. It's his. You know, it, it's just obvious. It's so simple. Yeah. But then, as you said, he doesn't want to argue about taxes. That is not why Jesus Christ came to the earth. He wants to tell us what he came to tell us. He says that in the second part, you know, render 
therefore to Caesar, the things that belong to Caesar, but to God, the things that are God's. That's the lesson. Yep. And that's, you know, it's, I, I, I'm not sure why they marveled. Of course, well, one reason is because he got off the, horn, the, <laughs> the hook you know, that they thought they had him on. But I don't know if they even grasped what he was pointing out here. Um, but anyway, he's planted the seed. He's, he's giving a spiritual lesson here. Render to God the things that are God's. So now we have to ask, well, what things are God's? Hmm. I mean, we don't have any coins or anything that have his image. What, but, what, what bears his image? Exactly. Based on is this. The, is the question. We yeah. know it would bear his image. Whatever it is, if, we owe him. If we were, we're looking at give God the things that are God's, okay, we need to look for what it is that bears his image. And who is that? Or what is that? That's us. It is. Is there a Bible verse that tells us that? I think so. I'm, I'm kind of <laughs> suspecting Genesis 126 right here. Let us make man in our image after our likeness. So we are the image bearers of God, whether we acknowledge that or not. Someone yeah. might say, well, it's my body, my choice. I, it's mine to do what I want with. Well, Yes, God has given us as the a freedom steward. to choose as a steward. how we use that, but it is not ours to use. Our bodies, ourselves, belong to God. His image is on us and in us. Therefore, we belong to Him, and He will call us to account for our stewardship of what is His. And so if we go through life selfishly proclaiming, this is my body, I get to do whatever I want with it, okay, there's going to be consequences for that at the end. Yeah. But if we can stand before God and say, here's what I did with what belonged to you, you know, I, I reflected Christ, I obeyed your commandments, I did your will to the best of my ability, well, he'll say, good and faithful steward. That's right. You, you, in. you used acceptably what I gave you to use and what belongs to me, and now you return it. You returned it to me, essentially. You gave it back to me to use. Which is what he says, render yep. render to God that yeah. which is God's. And so his, his image and his inscription, the inscription of Almighty God, is on us spiritually and physically. You know, it's in our DNA, the, the creative design that we that is who we are. His, his signature is all over every bit of that. And there is the genius of all that we are. And it belongs to God. And we know because of the way we come into this life that we didn't do this ourselves. I didn't make me who I am. Right. I've been made. I've been created marvelously and wonderfully made. Psalm 139. In, in the lower parts, you know, when I was in my mother's womb, I was, I was formed in those inward parts by, by God's will, by his hand. And so his inscription is on me the day that I'm born to the day I die. And if I learn that appropriately and render that which is his back to him, then the, the reward is found there. It's like you said, if I'm, if I'm a coin and I have the image of Caesar on me, and I go, well, I, I don't want to, I'd rather be a Mexican coin. So I'm going to be a Mexican coin. It's like, okay, go, go ahead. Yeah. Good luck. You still have an image on you that you can't remove. Right. You have no prerogative to remove. And that you, you wouldn't want to because you wouldn't be alive if you didn't have God's inscription on your life. So the whole thing is insane. It's, it goes back to the potter and the clay in my mind. Yeah, exactly. He's made us, and we look up to him and we say, why have you made me like this? Yeah, I don't want to do be this? this kind of a pot. 
Why'd you do that? Yeah. I'm mad at you. Yeah. Hello. You have no say. You are clay. That's right. The potter well, is what makes what he wants. That's the rebellious heart of man coming into play. I don't like what you do. Even, really? Even though it's the best, it's always good. It comes from the ultimate source of perfect wisdom and power. But you don't like what he does. That's what I was going to say. Who are you to say that? I, I do think people feel that way about their own lives. I, I don't like what God's done with me or the way he made me. There's something wrong with my life or in my physical body. You know, to a degree, I, I would certainly understand that and yeah. want to talk about that. Mm-hmm. But It needs to be addressed. There's also the... That he knows what he's doing, and so why, let me look deeper and see if I can appreciate what's, what I do yeah. have or what's happened. Uh, it's such a better place to be than, than to be the one who's like, I hate my nose. I hate that I have this color hair. I, it's like, you know what? Yeah. The people who say, I, I, hate, I hate myself because yeah. I, I have a big nose. No, that's proof that you love yourself. Yeah, right. you wouldn't care. Exactly. <laughs> if you hated yourself, you'd be thrilled. <laughs> yeah. But no, you love yourself. So, so yeah. you know, get off of the pity party because we're not mm. we're not buying that. Get back to you know who am I actually? What yeah. what blessings do I have? What benefit uh, has God granted to me just so freely? And again, now you're getting back in line with the intentions of the Creator, and that that's where everyone should find themselves at some point. Um, well, Paul focused on it in. Uh, 1 Corinthians six nineteen and 20. He said, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. You've been so purchased. That's what we're here. He, he purchased back, really, what in the beginning belonged to him. It was stolen, usurped from him. We... We gave up what he had established. We gave ourselves over to the devil. Jesus has redeemed us. So what is my purpose then in life? Like you said, I need to look deeper and find out. I need to get past my big nose or whatever whatever my hang-up is in life. I don't like that I can't be a ballerina or a, an airline pilot or something. What, whatever it can be. Let's get past that. What is my purpose Glorify God in your body and in your spirit. There you go. That's, and that is giving back to God what is his. Exactly. How do I render to God what is God's? I let him use what belongs to him. I glorify him in everything that I say and do. Yeah, and it's not just in one grand moment. It's kind of, it's kind of even the way we speak to others. And oh. that I'm, I'm, all of this that you see is on loan, and I'm doing the best I can. Everything's been loaned to me. And as you said, I will return to God. I will be rendered back by his power. And I'm going to give an answer for what I've done with that, which was loaned to me. So it goes back to stewardship. And that's what I was thinking. If, I, if his image and inscription is on me, then what do I owe him? What should I give him back? And you've, you know, you've pointed out so beautifully in 1 Corinthians 6. It's my life. Yeah. Romans 12.1, Paul says, I beseech you, brethren, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. So... Your inscription, God's inscription is on you. Present your body as a living sacrifice to God. Yeah, give it to God. Him. Mm-hmm. And, and, we are and His to do what his, to do His will. Yeah, and that's it. Is our reasonable service? He is reasonable about what He wants of us. That's right. So just surrender to that. Yeah, it's the best for you. You can't get better than that. 
And you know, the, the other thing that I was thinking about with this is that when Jesus says, you know, whose image and inscription, so therefore, likewise, you render to God what is God's. His image, his inscription is on you. Jesus isn't just teaching as like, y'all, y'all go figure this out. Jesus is saying it is universally and entirely totally true. Because when you get to Hebrews 10 and verse 5, there's this quote about Jesus. Mm. And I'm paraphrased, but it says, A body you have prepared for me. I have come in the volume of the book. It is written of me to do your will, O God. He's, he's, as he stands there with those men, he's in the same boat they are. He, he's got to render back to God that which is God's. In, in some marvelous and brilliant way. And, and, and it's, it's said for us there in the Hebrew letter that, that you've, you've prepared a body for me, and I will use that body to do your will. So he's rendering back full faith and confidence that God will raise him from the dead if he does what he's come to do. And it's such, you, you know, you made the point, and it is the point. Jesus is the teacher. We don't even call him the great teacher because... Mm. There's none greater than he. He is the teacher. And he, he just takes such a simple point. Look at this coin. Who's, whose picture is on this coin? Well, it belongs to him, doesn't it? Okay. Yeah. Real easy to figure that out. If you can figure that out, you should be able to understand the second part of my statement. Give God's what belongs to him. Well, whose image and inscription where is that image? It's on me. So I need to give me back to God. It's such a powerful lesson that's taught so simply. And, and only the teacher can, can do that in this situation. He, he turns this thing completely around. He says, there's no dilemma here. There's just something you're not seeing. And he reveals it for him. And it's not, it's not this unbearable, extremely difficult thing to do. No. Jesus said, I, you know, my yoke is easy yeah. and my burden is light. It's, it, he doesn't ask unreasonable things from us. And it seems to me that everything, once, once you come to terms with that, that that's, really, that's where the peace of God rests, yeah. is in that understanding. And in moving forward, you know that you're in, a, you're in a good place, you're in the right place. You're in the place in which you were designed to be in. And so mm-hmm. there's, and there's nothing left fighting with that. I think that, you know, whatever's happening within us, I'd, I'd rather do this than what he's told me. All those things that happen, that's a battle within because of what we're bringing to the table. But, but when we line up with what God would have us to do, it is always better. And it seems like it can be hard to understand. You know, it's more blessed to give than to receive is a good example. I just don't understand what that means when I'm 10 years old. Yeah. But I, I have said in my life, okay, I'm going to try this. You know, and I'm, I'm watching. I want to see if there's a blessing here or not. And it's not the physical, like, oh, here's your payment. You know, God promised you, so here's, you gave a little, here's a lot. That's mm-hmm. not how it's done. Mm-hmm. It's, you know what? I gave, I gave myself today for the benefit of someone else. That reward is far deeper than anything, you know, tangible, monetary. Yeah. Uh, and we have trouble with the balance of those two. Well, even unbelievers recognize that. Yeah. They know, and, and they will even endorse when you do something good for somebody else at your own expense, maybe you give something up to do for them, that makes you feel good. Yeah. And they're always promoting that, you know, do for others and be the change or, you know, all the little mantras and slogans that get thrown <laughs> out there for marketing purposes. But it's a recognized facet of life. That's right. It's just better. You feel better when you know I did something that that person needed to be done. 
whether it really cost me a sacrifice or not, but just the fact. I took my time, I diverted my attention, used whatever resources I had to meet the needs of this individual over here. Uh, Habitat for Humanity, that everyone knows about, is built on that principle. We're going to get a bunch of people together this weekend, and we're going to build these folks a house because they need it. And everyone walks away feeling great because they've all chipped in, done what they could to provide for the needs of another. So why is it so hard to transfer that over to God? It's, it's that rebellious heart again. Yeah. You know, I'll do it for me because I get to feel good. But no, let's do it for God. Yeah. And he'll provide. He'll, he'll, he'll return what we really need That's right. as that's, a result of that's that. That's faith. Yeah. Well, that's very good. So whose inscription, mm-hmm. whose image is on you? Once you answer that question correctly, then you know yeah. what you know what to do next. And that's just the beauty of Christ teaching. Mm-hmm. Very good. Is there anything else, other passages? No, I, I think we've worked that one pretty well. Okay. It's, a, it's a beautiful lesson. It's a simple lesson. It just comes down to whether we want to accept it or not. Yep, that's right. Well, I just want to let everyone know that Kurt, I mean, when he got here, he tried to scare me with the level and depth of his questions. <laughs> yes. I, what did you call it? My bi-monthly? Your bi-monthly humility? humility dose bill. of humility? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, we both... We came to the agreement that we both need daily doses of, yeah. of humility. Five monthly is not cutting it. Yeah, that's way too, way too little. But, he, but today you're going to administer the medication, so I'll let you go first. Just oh, cause okay. I'm... Well, see, they're not difficult questions, but I'm just trying to intimidate you here. <laughs> Get off on that start. I was suspicious of that. I <laughs> wasn't sure. Trivia. They're both out of the Old Testament today. Okay. So first of all, uh, we know that the scriptures talk about the mercy seat. Exodus 25 specifically describes it. What is the mercy seat, and why is it called that? Oh, man. I mean, you're looking for... In the Old Testament, what was the mercy seat? The mercy seat is where the blood was poured... I can already tell by the look on your face. I'm not. I'm not I'm going just, the right direction. I'm, I'm waiting to see where you're going to go. Oh, okay, so literally, the mercy seat is it is a part of the ark of the covenant. Yes, it is on top. Yeah, um, the angel on either side, with wings spread, facing the mercy seat. So all of that is kind of the construction of it. Mm-hmm. I believe that the high priest, when he offers sacrifice for himself. That that blood is applied to that mercy seat. Yeah, they sprinkle the blood was sprinkled on on the mercy seat. Yeah, and and, and the Hebrew writer tells us that that's so that he would have compassion on his fellow brethren, because he his sins need to be forgiven as well in the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. So the mercy seat played a. But I, I mean, there's so many you can extrapolate so many things from that. So where yeah. what do well, we, what the, did you want the me mercy to say? seat is the lid. <laughs> is that what you wanted it, me to say? It, no, it's the covering on the on the ark. Okay, so you, right. you have the ark, and there are contents in there. That's right. And the mercy seat is basically the lid. It's okay. the, the cover you put on the on the ark. But I think it has to deal also with what's inside the ark. Uh, primarily, you've got the law. Right. And between the law and the individual that is subject to it, you have the mercy seat. Yeah. So God is merciful in His dealings with us 
in regard to the law, because if it's just law, we're doomed. If there's no mercy to temper judgment, then we we are finished. Yeah. And of course, uh, bonus question, who is the mercy seat in the New Testament? It's Christ. Yeah. Jesus is our mercy seat. Now. I was going to say, because Peter mentions in one of his epistles that the prophets didn't know the spirit of Christ in which they were prophesying about. They didn't understand. They longed to see. Mm-hmm. And he goes on mm-hmm. to say, even angels. Desire to look into these things. Yeah. So you've got these two angels looking at the mercy seat all through the Old Testament. <laughs> and they want, they, you know, there's, I don't know what they know or don't know, but they didn't know what we, what's now been revealed to us right. at that time. So this picture, every time the priest goes in, these angels, you know, the, the visual of them looking at the mercy seat that they still don't know what's coming and why all that exists the way that it does and the way that it's set up. It is just, man, that is such a great thing. Yeah. In Good fact, there are, there are four times, uh, Romans 3.25, Hebrews 2.17, 1 John 2.2, 2, and 1 John 4.10 all speak of Jesus being the propitiation mm. for our sins. And that word propitiation literally is translatable to mean mercy seat. Awesome. So he is now what stands between us and just pure judgment. Yeah. The mercy of God is demonstrated in Jesus Christ. <laughs> wow. Man. It's, yeah, beautiful. Gonna catch my Amazing breath. picture. All right, my question is not as good. <laughs> oh, well. But it is a Bible question. It's Old Testament. <laughs> who killed a lion is one who would have torn apart a young goat? Uh, I'm going to say Samson. You are correct. Judges 14 and verse 6. It says a roaring lion came upon him and startled him, and he ripped the lion apart as one who would tear apart a young goat. Tough Maybe. dude. Just tearing apart a young goat would be, yeah. Well, in, in, <laughs> be a little beyond in that passage, it says the spirit of the Lord came mightily upon yeah, him. So yeah. that that's hardly ever used in the Old Testament. Instead of David, Samson, I think one other, because the spirit of the Lord can come upon someone, but mightily, you know, that mm. just that extra emphasis mm-hmm. just shows With power. Yeah, there's just power and strength there that God wants us to to recognize. So, very good, Samson. Okay, here's my second one from the Old Testament. Uh, Exodus 28 verses 15 through 21 is part of the description of the clothing, all, the attire for the high priest. And that segment specifically deals with his breastplate. And it says there were 12 uh, different gemstones that were to be placed in his breastplate. Now, I'm not going to ask you what the gemstones were. <laughs> Good. Uh, you were looking at me like, come <laughs> on, do Kurt. It. That do is it. really bad. But what was inscribed on those stones? Individual stones? On each individual stone, something was inscribed. But it's got to be the name of each tribe. That's right. Okay. Yep. The names of the sons of Israel were to be inscribed on, uh, you know, this. the amethyst gets this name and the... Uh, Opal gets this name, whatever the gem was. Each one had a, a specific name of one of the 12 sons of Israel. Man. So that as the high priest went about his duties, Israel is facing God. That's right. So it's a, another just interesting picture. And he serves as a type of mediator. Yeah, he's mediating for Israel. He's bearing Israel on his breast wow. and bringing them before God. Man, that's really good. I'm glad I got it right. <laughs> I would never know the you names of the stones. Yeah. 
Um, final question. Would I? <laughs> final question of the day. How did how old was Josiah when he became king? Eight. That's right. Eight years eight old. Eight years old. Second Kings twenty two and verse one. Very good. I think you know with our topic today about whose inscription is is on it and whose image. We've obviously made the point that we got to render back to God. Um, and just remember what Jesus said that it applies to us, to, to look to the Lord and say, a body you have prepared for me. That's mm-hmm. just true. To do your will, O oh God. And, it, and that's a beautiful place for us to be. We, we need to strive for that. And again, not just to reach that um, academically, but right. to, to walk to walk. It has that to way. become our personhood. Yeah, and it, everyone will see that and take note of that um, just connection to the Lord. That, yeah. He is mine and I am his, and that's a beautiful thing. And no, no one can change that. No one on earth can change that. And, and with Jesus looking at these men, you know, he's saying, look, you're fighting over money, and you can't take it to heaven. Should we pay taxes or not? Good question. Bible deals with that. We can address that. Mm-hmm. Stop wasting your time thinking about temporal, earthly things that cannot help you in the eternal sense of who we are and what we've been designed to be. It is worthless. Money is worthless when you pass from this life. Yeah. So even if you ask yourself that way, well, what do I show up to the judgment seat with? It's just going to be you. Everything is yeah. naked and bare and open before him to whom we must give an account. And are you going to present a defiled image to him or one that you allowed him to clean up and make more like Christ? Yeah, exactly. So the answer is obvious. It's just a matter of you know getting to work and, and really committing to that. So very good. I appreciate that handling of that question that Jesus asked very much. We hope and pray that everyone who's with us today uh, learned something new, maybe found something to apply or reapply uh, to their daily lives and their daily walk as they do their best to serve the Lord. Um, Be a blessing to God. Be a blessing to those around you as you continue to serve him faithfully.